Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off-limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. Okay, before we get into the episode, let's thank the people who support me on Patreon. Eddie the Head 83, Nick Beach, Mrs. Metal Dan, Sam Warwick, Kato Yokova, Adrian Cusick, Dane Damage, Madison Hatter, Seth B., Alan Janssen, Hank Reeves, John Simpson, Huckney Jacobson, Ed Ferguson, Denny Striegel, Patrick Sabin, Jerry from Salt Lake City, Blue Walsh 21, Victor Guzman, Gene Eugene DX, Sean Richmond, Mario Charance, Andrew Miller, Jeremy Weltman, Chris Riley, Johan Erdstrom, Stephen Rodriguez, Tommy Anderson, Gregory Muse, Kenny McCrimmon, Leo from Alaska, Brad Dahl, Dan Gurwan, Victor Ruiz, Sam Supi, Drake, Matt Carroll, Joe Ryan, Jason Seth, Stephen Saylor, Ron Keel, Jean-Francois Blah, Anthony Mackey, James Bennett, David Gray, Fred Roots, Michael Street, Mike Jones, Steve Hoker, John Beauvoiri, and Metal Dan. You too can support me on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com and search Talking Metal or simply type in patreon.com slash talking metal. Uh, if you want to catch up with other things, Related to me, you can check me out on social media. And of course, there's markstriegel.net. All the podcasts can be found at talkingmetal.com. On today's episode, we have Chuck Berge. Chuck is just an incredible drummer. He's been a friend for the last few years. And uh, yeah, always love talking with him. This is part two. We did part one a while ago. It's linked through today's show notes. And yeah, I apologize. The quality of this interview sucks for some reason. It's very uh, staticky, but you can definitely hear everything Chuck says. And uh, I highly recommend you give it a try. It gets better as the show, as the interview goes on because he says so much great stuff in here. So please listen to it. Bon Jovi, Blue Oyster Cult, Hall and Oates. We don't really get too much into the Richie Blackmore Rainbow stuff since we did that last time. And again, the last time that podcast is linked in the show notes today. So what a great guy. What a great drummer. Chuck Berge. Here we go. Hey, it's Mark Striegel, and we are welcoming back to the podcast the extraordinary drummer, Chuck Berge. Chuck, how are you, man? Mark, I'm well. And you? 
I'm I'm doing really well. We are just uh, cranking out these podcasts and I'm continuing to do my TV work during the day all from home now, which I love. I don't have to commute into the office. So no complaints from me. Um, I, I had you on back in 2019 and we did a big epic interview after um, Mitch Lafon had connected us. And I yeah. do want to just reference that for the listeners today, because there was a lot that was covered in that interview. And we're going to link that in today's show notes and people can go back and hear all the Richie Blackmore stories, all the (laughs) Billy Joel stories. And, and we're going to, but there was so much we didn't cover in the last interview. So we're going to try to cover some other stuff today, but first off, how are you and how, how have you been holding up these past, you know, 18, 19 months during this whole COVID craziness yeah well after the 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 covid thing shut down the rest of our year uh i guess it was in 2019 uh, actually it was 2020 it was uh, march we played our last show with billy so uh that was in mexico city it was an awesome show and then we got home and like within 10 days it was suddenly stuff is shut down so billy has been an unbelievable friend and boss he uh kept everybody on salary for 2020. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. That's something you don't whole, hear in the press either. No, That's no, great. Whole, yeah. Wow. Yeah, no one's tooting his horn, but um, he, he made the difference for the whole band and the whole crew. I mean, our whole, not obviously everybody, but lighting guys, sound guys, everybody was kept on salary for 2020. Um, That's incredible. That's really yeah. unheard of. Wow. Yeah, We've heard no, about so, so many people just you know, struggling through this. Time. Absolutely. Uh, I heard some horror stories uh, during that uh, time off, which, as it turned out, was the longest break I'd ever had. Um, and I know that I'm probably speaking for all my musician friends. Um, but, yeah, Billy was extraordinary. Um, and we, we started up again this summer uh, after a lot of fitful planning because it seems the only places you can actually perform are places where the mayor of the city and the governor have agreed on protocols. Ah, wow. Okay. So, so we started in Boston uh, at Fenway, which was sold out and from a year ago, last summer, uh, a, 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 a summer ago. And then we went to uh, Buffalo Bill Stadium, which was sold out. And uh, then we did Cincinnati, the Great American Ballpark. And that was sold out. So that was the last gig a couple of weeks ago. Wow. We're, we're on our way on the 22nd of this month to Austin, Texas, where we'll be performing after the final race, uh, the NASCAR race. At their, They have a huge facility in Austin, Texas. And if anybody has any interest, they should Google it because uh, there's a huge stage that they've erected for performances. Um, so I don't think we're bringing a whole lot of gear. We're bringing the band gear, I think, and maybe sound. I don't know how it's laid out, but there's a huge futuristic viewing tower uh, behind where the stage is, and it's mind-boggling. So I've never been there. I've only seen pictures, but uh, we head out on the 22nd, uh, and we are the um, we're the entertainment. After wow. That, that's amazing. That sounds like a, a fun event for sure. It certainly will be. And one of my favorite concerts, thanks to you, was in 2019, Billy Joel 
and, and Chuck Berge on stage at Madison Square Garden. Wow, what a great night that was. And Billy usually does what, like once a month, sometimes more than once a month at the well, Garden? Well, we've been doing once a month at the Garden for uh, seven years up until uh, what would have been March of 2020. So literally within 10 days of us getting back from Mexico, we were supposed to be at the Garden. That was that was. Uh, rescheduled at the time and then the whole year was canceled so but up until that point it had been every month solid for seven years wow and so like, I, i'm personally on i think my 85th sellout in a row at the garden wow and have they announced garden shows coming back for billy yes. joel i know we have the foo fighters played and the eagles played so there's definitely concerts happening there yep so we're back there for the very first time on november 5th we will be uh, at MSG for the first Soon. time. Almost two years, yeah. Wow, okay. Well, that's great uh, news. Uh, and I do need to, before we get into your, your just amazing history that we didn't cover last time, <laughs> okay. I need to ask you for an update with Tokyo Motor Fist. You guys put out an album basically in the middle of this whole pandemic thing. Uh, and yeah, and uh, any updates on, on that? Uh, not really. The last gig they had uh, was at a Monsters of Rock kind of festival in South Jersey here. And um, Steve, I was unable to do it. So we got this great, great drummer. Um, I'm trying to think of his full name, Jordan Kanata. Uh, okay. And he's a, a Long Island kid, I believe. And um, so they got him to be the ringer for the show. But we've had a couple of shows canceled. So obviously melodic, hard rock, a la the 80s kind of vibe. It's not huge in America for the, for the most part. So we, we're, we're waiting to see what happens. And I have a feeling we might be off for the rest of the year. Um, okay. We have been invited back to the Monsters of Rock uh, cruise. I believe that's in February of 2022. So uh, I'm not sure exactly of the date of that, but that that could be our first startup again. Okay, and you think you'll be playing with them on, yeah, on the I cruise? Hope so. It doesn't yeah. it doesn't you know conflict with something Billy's already planned because they know that that's priority. That's, sure, that's the main job and priority. So yeah, uh, and I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully that'll happen. I don't feel much of anything else is going to happen um usually those type of shows have to be a, a multi-bill for all those bands to uh, actually make it worthwhile for the promoters so i don't think i don't think we're doing much for the rest of the year but you mentioned that album lions which I, i'm so proud of and i think it, it was the apex of the leader of stevie brown on guitar and vocals uh i think it was the apex of his writing career so far i mean it's just an awesome album but sadly it did come out towards the end of the uh whatever pandemic and um and i don't think it got any of the traction that it should have and i actually really feel that frontiers dropped the ball on what i thought was a huge could have been a huge album for them uh, okay. you know, they're, they're an Italian-based company. And right. We just don't see eye to eye with the way they handled that last uh, album. So that's that's the update on TMF. Yeah, well, we do encourage everyone to check out uh, Tokyo Motor Fist's last record from 2020, Lions. Again, a great listen. We had Steve on the podcast to, to talk about it mm -hmm. at the time it came out or right around there. But let's uh, dive into some of your history. One of the things we didn't talk about 
the last time was your involvement with Hall and Oates. Can you tell us how that came about and, and, yeah. and how long you were with them? Yeah, um, I was uh, just leaving a uh, kind of fusion band that was based up in Toronto. So that, that, that year, 1980, started with me being unsure as to what I was going to do. And I got a call from a friend of a friend. I think it was a friend of the bass players. Uh, and, um, and they said, you should call John, the bass player for Hall & Oates at the time, uh, because uh, they're looking to audition drummers. So I literally, you know, I, I'm so fortunate. I grew up in Montclair, which was 12 miles from Manhattan, Midtown. So getting getting into town, even when I was much younger, was just a bus ride. But I, I, I drove into, I, I called somebody, set up an audition, played for them. And I know they went through a bunch of other people. But uh, lucky for me, I got the like, okay, you're, you know, they want you to do this. So it was a radical change in the direction of my playing. Uh, and it was one of the most extraordinary year and a half I had ever had. Uh, wow. we, I finished an album that they had in the can that Jerry Murata had played on most of the, the big songs on. Uh, and I played a couple of songs to finish the album out. One of them was a remake of Loving Feeling by the Righteous Brothers. And that, that was their second single released from that record. And it went top top. 40, uh, and it was so cool to hear myself on the radio, uh, AM radio, for the first time. Right. Uh, and then uh, they, and so we we got ready to do a, a tour, which lasted most of the year of 1980, and and it was just an extraordinary extraordinary year for me. Uh, working with them was amazing. They were they were super cool, super fun, and we worked hard. We were on the bus a lot. And just, uh, it was a kind of comeback album for them. It's called Voices. And uh, it has since gone double platinum, I believe. Maybe maybe multi. Right. Wow. Uh, yeah. So so that was it. It kind of came, uh, came out because John Sigler, who was the bass player in that band at the time, had, uh, had, had known and gotten me into... Uh, an, another band eventually uh, in any case he was good friends with them I knew him uh, and it was just friends friends of friends and uh, and then making the time to go in and audition and uh, I played too much in fact if, if I ever get to see Daryl and John again I'd have to thank them for putting up with me until I really settled into the gig because I was coming off of like Brand X fusion type music yeah and uh, <laughs> I played way too much but but you know they were kind and let me you know let me do it. Yeah, I look back and listen to some of our live stuff and oh my god, they were so kind to not have fired me. So thanks, wow. thanks, Daryl. Right on. And like I said, we we deeply cover your involvement with with Rainbow on on two different stints you had with them. That's on episode yeah. eight hundred and twelve of this podcast. So we're gonna encourage everyone to go back and listen to that. But let's let's stay in the 80s now and let's talk about the very first Bon Jovi record which was released in January 84 so I'm guessing probably recorded in 83 yep. what was your involvement with that record because so, yeah. you know we we know the Bon Jovi band but were they really on that record like uh, what did you play on the first Bon Jovi record 
I played five songs, um, and I don't remember their names, but uh, I, I do have the album. I should someday maybe just listen to it and go, okay, that was one, that was one. So I got involved with that because, let me let me see if I can get this straight here. Were you on the Runaway single, the big single? No, album, no, no, that was a Frank LaRocca, and he was actually an A&R guy for, I believe, Atlantic Records. Um, and oh, wow. He was, you know, he loved to play rock and roll. So I believe he played on that and that own that song and that song only. So let's see. I I had I had out of home notes. I joined a band called Balance, and they were on CBS, and they were produced and recorded by Tony Bon Jovi, and Tony at the time was co-owner of the Power Station in New York. So John's he, uncle, I believe, right? Yeah, yeah. And so real briefly, while I was recording their record, which I believe was my first album uh, at the power station, uh, I got to know John because John was the night janitor. And I don't want, you know, don't want to paint it too weird, but you know, yeah, he, well, he, was the, he was the night kid. He came in and emptied all the, and just cleaned up after all the sessions. So I got to talking to him while we were recording the Balance album, which was called In For The Count on uh, CBS Epic Records. And uh, and then through uh, working with Tony, I started doing other sessions at the Power Station. Uh, I ended up doing Michael Bolton's first solo album. And and in the course of working with engineers and producers, I met, it was through Tony, he suggested me to a guy named Lance Quinn. Lance was producing, and I believe was the producer of a lot of Bon Jovi's first record. Maybe not Runaway, but so Lance called me and said, hey, I got your number from Tony. I'm working with a band. You you might know the singer, Johnny. And I was like, oh, my God, he's doing something because he was just a gorgeous looking kid. And it was just, dude, when are you going to do a band? And he just would he'd shrug and say, you know, I'm working on it in any case. So that was it. I uh, I met I met with the, the producer, went in. Uh, I believe some of the tracks already had rough stuff done. I didn't I didn't play to the best of my knowledge with anybody in the band. And uh, right. yeah, you know, it's stuff was already done. So, um, so I did five songs and that was it. So it's, it's ended up being a, a golden platinum album on my wall. And uh, I initially was given credit, God, I think as a bass player. Uh, <laughs> really? Just by uh, accident, by mistake? No, I think it was. I think it was because I was in another band. That I was in. Hmm, I think I was in Balance at the time, and I was working with a bunch of other artists. And maybe they just wanted to keep it looking like okay, Tico drums, you know, so and so bass, and keep it looking like a band on on minor notes. Right. Uh, I've, I've eventually been credited with drums, you know, auxiliary personnel. I think something like that. Right. Uh, I know on Wikipedia it says additional drums but you're saying that you played the drum tracks on five of those songs yeah yeah and i don't remember what they were and i you know it, it had to be had to be done quick so i was still learning my way around sessions uh which was a whole new world for me and a lot of and was all to a click so the the stuff had already been recorded and uh i guess lance wanted to replace some drums or whatever so so that was it it was through tony bon jovi and having been in a band that recorded at the power station so uh it was cool really, that ended up 
I ended up having a lot of work through that connection and meeting a lot of great people. So, you know, like anything in the business, you meet one person if you do a decent job and you're a cool person or at least <laughs> dealable, then things can keep moving forward. Right on. And one thing we didn't get to talk about the last time I spoke with you at all, which I know a lot of people were wondering about because we have fans of Blue Oyster Cult who listen to this show. Let, let's talk about your involvement with Blue Oyster Cult, which was oh. substantial. I mean, uh, most of the 90s, you were you know with what? them? Half of them, half of the 90s. I think I joined them in 91 and left in 95. So it was about four and a half years. Okay. All right. Uh, and I loved working with them. Um, so I met them uh, during the last summer, last two summers of doing uh, outdoor festivals in America and Europe when I was with Meatloaf. So they got a chance to, you know, I didn't know they were auditioning me, but they were. So they checked us out, checked me out. And when Meat decided to pull the whole band off the road to start the process, the long, painful process of him recording Back Into Hell, uh, which ended up being incredibly successful. But right. All of us needed to look for work. Uh, so literally within a, 10 days of him telling everyone, I think we're done for now, at least for a year or two, uh, I got a call from their manager. And he was like, hey, you know, the guys want to know if you want to start playing with them. Uh, their, their drummer's leaving. And I had seen them and thought, yeah. And I'd been big fans of their music. So literally... Uh, it was a great segue. I wasn't out of work long. Um, we played uh, we played a lot of big shows, and then we played a lot of, a million smaller ones, clubs or uh, or county fairs. I mean, all over the country. Um, so my time with them was was just just a lot of fun. Um, I was big fans of theirs from the very beginning, and then touring with them, you know. They're they're just uh, they're they're some of the icons of the old school. So it was a real pleasure to work with them. Um, I did two records. I was saying cult classics, which is our attempts to our attempt to recreate their original hits, uh, like note for note. Um, and then the second album, which I'm really proud of, was uh, Heaven Forbid, and uh, and there's some really fun and very cool tracks. And we were. We were going real heavy. I was going real heavy uh, for that one. And there's um, some tremendous drumming on that that album specifically. Now that now you mentioned you left them in '95, but that record came out a little later, didn't it? You know what? I think it did. Uh, I I'm, I really didn't follow it uh, as to when it came out, and uh, uh, you know. It, it, what happened was things had just really slowed down after the recording of that record in terms of gigs, and. Um, you know, I want I wanted to be a band member, and and they really couldn't afford to let that happen. Um, so so when an opportunity came to join uh, Richie's world tour again, that was that was '95. Rainbow, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I literally said yes and called them and said, listen, I got a guy who will uh, take my place for any of the gigs until you get somebody to stay. And I didn't want to leave them in a lurch, but I had been with them long enough for them to. Have made a, a business uh, proposition to me that that made sense, and it didn't really happen. So, uh, I just felt you know it was in my best interest to move on at that point. Right, right, totally understandable. Yeah, and you know, and I love them, and uh, but at, at the time there were three of them. I know Alan, the original piano player, guitar player, passed a couple of years ago. So, but at the time there were three of them who were the original 
uh, from the original and founding members and uh, whatever they didn't want to they didn't want to part with any more percentages of what they had and I get it so uh, it was fine I mean uh, Richie made my mind up for me with uh, a really great offer and a year's worth of work so that was that was fun to go back to that but yeah I had a, a blast with BOC love those guys loved working with Buck and uh, and I think he's got they've got a great great band now um uh, one of my favorite bass players danny miranda is playing with them and has been i uh, listened to most of their new album which came out last year yeah it just it just turned a year old uh the symbol remains the new album is terrific yeah, the symbol remains i think it's an amazing record and it's so it's so captured what i think they were all about when they began uh, and they're a swinging rock and roll band. Richie, uh, is it Rich Castellano, uh, their drummer? Uh, but I think it's an incredible band. And uh, most people don't know that they have a great live record out from a couple of years ago now. Uh, I, think it, I think it's on Frontiers. And uh, I think the new one's on Frontiers also. So they've, I think they've had better luck with uh, the Italian company Frontiers than TMF has. Right on. Uh, but, uh, but I love that new album, and it really... It, it, it's uh, you know I'm a huge fan. I called Buck up, Buck up after hearing it, and we we uh, we caught up and uh, reconnected again. And oh my God, yeah. So it was a wonderful time in my life. I really am grateful for the opportunity to have played all those classic songs inside out. And uh, and I've got some live stuff, uh, live footage, and moments that I was with them that were uh, I'm really proud of. So it was it was a lot of fun and. Uh, we went all over the planet with that band. <laughs> a lot of touring. Right on. And and Chuck, we will have to wrap things up in a minute, but I did want to mention Bob Kulik. We lost him, oh, I guess, within the last year. And you had yeah. a history with Bob and played with him. Was it, what was Balance? Was that what was you played? Was, yeah, I met Bobby in the band Balance. And incidentally, uh, people can go to Facebook uh, or Bruce Kulik's uh, uh I think YouTube page because I just played on a tribute to Bob. Called, oh wow! Called uh, um, I'm going to forget it now. Uh, it's by Balance, uh, written by Pepe Castro. Uh, the world I used to know, and there's a great video that was put together by the keyboard player Doug Katsaris, and we got uh, Bruce Kulick to play guitar on it, and he's in the video as well. So it's a video tribute song to Bobby, and I'm really proud of it. I think it came out great. Uh, whether it ever leads to anything else, at least it's a it's a real capper to having known those guys um, and for Bobby to have been in all of our lives and uh, as a uh, as a tribute to him. So uh, yeah, uh, there's, uh, the world I used to know the world I used to know by Balance uh, on Facebook and I think you can find it on Bruce Pul Bruce Kulik's page on YouTube as well. So, okay, yeah. cool. We're going to link that through the show notes in today's podcast. Oh, and we are so excited that live gigs are returning. I just uh, I saw Pearl Jam recently and Megadeth. So I'm, I'm back in the concert mode. <laughs> right. Cannot wait yeah. to see you on stage. We've got to yep. see Billy, if not this year, definitely in 2022. I want to come and back and rock out. out at the garden with you. You know how to reach out to me and uh, we'll get you in. Um, I'm hoping if all goes well. Um, we're into all of next year, which is pretty much much of it is sold already at the garden. Wow. So here's hoping we got another year to go without any uh, 
technical difficulties uh, from the uh, CDC world. Right on. Right on. Yeah. Cool. Mark, this has been such a pleasure. And thank you again. Uh, I could blab about all this stuff for hours. So anytime you want to do a part three. <laughs> we, we will do a part three. Go. I can promise you that. Might be a year or, or so, hey, but we will whenever, do a part my three. You got yeah. plenty of other people to say hello to and listen to. So thank you again for the opportunity. You bet. And thank you for the great music with Rainbow, Blue Oyster Cult, Bon Jovi, Hall & Oates, Tokyo Motor Fist, and of course, Billy Joel and, and many, many others that we're, we're leaving off the list right now. But uh, yeah, you've had quite a career and it goes onward. Thank you, Chuck. Yeah, I'm blessed and thank you, Mark. Have a great day and bye everybody out in Radio Land. Big thanks to Chuck Berge for joining me. Really hope to see him playing with Billy Joel again soon. Big thanks to you for listening. Please support me on Patreon. A $5 a month pledge gets you a Talking Metal t-shirt. Thank you. Talk to you next time.